0: It's Fire Away Friday Fire away Friday. on Exploring the Word. This is your chance to ask us your Bible question. You can email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio.
1: The gospel story is the story of the greatest rescue mission in history. And the Bible says that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son Jesus on a rescue mission because those that needed deliverance was you and me. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert here. And this is a show of questions. We're taking Bible questions and giving answers. And Bert, um, I've got Uh, A story I was working on a sermon and I read this illustration I thought was pretty inspiring speaking of the 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 reality that as believers in Jesus we have been rescued by the greatest mission trip in history Jesus came from heaven to earth to pay for our sins and make it possible for us to be saved Uh, can can I open up with a, a little illustration I thought was inspiring you
0: sure can amen the greatest rescue in all the world go ahead brother
1: Yes, it says that uh, in 1914, Sir Ernest Shackleton attempted the first land crossing of Antarctica, but his ship, the Endurance, got stuck in icy waters and sank. So he had 27 crew members with him, 28 people. They were stranded. 1,200 miles from civilization, and they were drifting on on ice flows, and they had three lifeboats that were very rickety, they had a few tents and limited provisions, and they were in one of the most brutal, frozen atmospheres on planet Earth. So they reached a small island and waited, and Shackleton and a handful of men took one of the lifeboats, went 800 miles in a lifeboat over freezing, tumultuous seas finally reached a whaling station. Shackleton returned later with a rescue ship and the rescue mission from getting stranded to getting rescued 18 months in the frozen tundra of Antarctica. And yet, all 100%, 27 out of 27 of the men were rescued. And later on, Uh, They said, well, how did you stay optimistic, and and how did you maintain hope? And they said that Shackleton modeled optimism, and he said that optimism was, quote, true moral courage. And he constantly believed that he and his men would survive. He constantly told them that nobody is going to be lost. We're going to survive. He told all of them that they each were significant, and they each— played a part in the solution, and even when things looked hopeless, he would stay of of good humor and good cheer. And it was interesting, along the way of getting rescued, uh, Shackleton's men had to jettison a lot of cargo and throw things away, but one of the few things that always they saved was one crewman had a banjo because Shackleton said, uh, keeping people's hopes up, we're going to need music. And can you imagine trudging through ice and snow with a banjo? But here's the point. Even in the middle of difficult trials, uh, kindness, love, hope, um, a positive morale can lighten somebody's load. And, you know, if it's important to, uh, you know, preserve people and get things sorted out here on Earth, I'm thankful that God did something even more spectacular than that. Without compromising anything, the righteousness of God was fulfilled, but the mercy of God was manifested. And right now, as we begin this program and we look into the Word of God, uh, be encouraged that our God makes no mistakes, our God overlooks no one, and you matter to the Lord. And no matter where you are in your journey, uh, God cares about you, and you can call out to Him, and He will hear you. And not only make it possible for you to be saved from sin, he'll bless you and sustain you on your journey through life into his presence one day. Amen,
0: Alex. I had heard, I didn't hear all the details, but I remember reading about that rescue. And again, it was one of the greatest there is. It reminded me also of Paul on his way to Rome and the ship, you know, was wrecked. And he said, but don't. Uh, stay with the ship. Nobody leave if you'll stay on the ship. You'll be rescued. And again, there was a hundred percent of those that did. They they were rescued. So God is an amazing God, and it is a rescue. And if you need to be rescued today, there's a number you can call triple eight. Need Him. They're our partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they have someone there ready to talk with you. If you know that you need rescuing from the sin, from the penalty of your sin, and come to Christ, I pray you'd call that number. Again, it's 888 need Him, Alex, thank you for starting us off that way, and uh, that's what we want Exploring the Word to do, whether it's Fire Away Friday or one of our Bible studies we're going to make much of Jesus and tell people Christ Jesus came to rescue sinners. And I, I feel like Paul messed up one time when he said he was the mm. chiefest of sinners. I, uh, mm-hmm. I, I I I'm not so sure that's true. I think of Bert Harper. That's uh, yeah. That's who I know who I am, and he rescued me, saved me, and I. He can save you if you'll turn to him today.
1: Yeah. You know, I often I've said the only time I ever disagreed with the Apostle Paul, I felt like I (laughs) have been and was the the chief of sinners. Mm -hmm. But uh, God is good and God is so faithful. He he really is. And we've got questions. And, uh, you know, one from the book that you and I just uh, released. Um, Could I uh, draw a question out of that book? Because I've gotten variations of, of this question. Uh, several times, but somebody writes and says, "Why are books no longer being
0: added to the Bible?" Oh. That's a good question, isn't
1: it? And it we, is a good
0: we, question. Now, let's let's think about that. There's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, and it is complete. Yeah. Now, this is just for those that are maybe your children. Uh, teenagers, and even you, you wonder, oh, how do you remember 39 and 27? Well, three, thir- 39, 3, nine, and then 3 times 9 equals 27. So wow. uh, that's 66 yeah. books altogether, but you can do that and uh, remember that. But it is complete, uh, Alex. Uh, yeah. it, there's no need of adding anything when it's complete. It's like our salvation our salvation is complete in Jesus Christ. You're not looking for something in addition to that. Uh, all God wants you to do is be all that God has given the Holy Spirit in your life to be. So we've got everything we need in the Scriptures. We don't need added Scriptures, do we?
1: We really don't. We really don't. And, you know, you're talking about the 39 and the 27, the uh, Old Testament canon, uh, Genesis through Malachi, has never really seriously been questioned. It was completed several hundred years before the birth of Jesus. Um, The Old Testament books were composed during the lives of the early Jewish leaders and prophets, and um, the Hebrew Bible, let's call it the Old Testament, ends with the events of Ezra and Nehemiah about 400 B.C., and the emphasis, as the Old Testament concludes, uh, one of the emphases is the return of the Jews from being deported in Babylon, that they would return to Jerusalem. And so even 200 years before the birth of Jesus, the Old Testament canon was well-known, well-circulated. But of the 27 books of the New Testament, they were all written you know, uh, shortly after the the life of Jesus. And it's been noted that, well, for one thing, The apostles that were the people who knew Jesus, they had seen the risen Jesus. And then the uh, scholars use a big word, the the post-apostolic era, the people who came after the apostles, but many of whom who knew the apostles, who knew Jesus, they all affirm the books that we have. And they um, didn't affirm some of the other books that came later that sometimes you'll you'll see in a you know an ad in a magazine for the quote lost gospels there really are no lost gospels and any of these ancient works that were purported to have been some forgotten part of the bible none of the early church leaders ever affirm any of those as scripture whereas what we do have in our new testament they do affirm but one last thing i want to say bert The final book of the New Testament is Revelation, uh, sometimes called the Revelation of John, because John the Apostle was used by God to write it down. And in Revelation 22, 18 and 19, the Word of God concludes with a pretty stern warning against adding to the Bible or taking away. It says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book, book of life. Um, Revelation ends, and it's just the perfect conclusion to the panorama of Scripture. Bert, I, I think about this. To add, I mean, if, if anything came after the book of Revelation, it just it wouldn't fit. I mean, Revelation, you've got tribulation, the Battle of Armageddon, Christ victoriously returns, um, heaven and earth are reconciled, and eternity is ushered in. I mean, Revelation is, the, even non believers have acknowledged that for the great panoramic gospel story, I mean, it is the perfect conclusion to the book. And besides, we don't have any historical evidence for any other scriptures um just artistically it would have
0: it wouldn't fit to add anything more would it it would not now you read next to the very last i want to read the last two verses you talking about how it ended and i think the last two verses even add to that alex he who testifies of these things says surely i am coming quickly If you have a red-letter edition, that's what Jesus said. And he said, amen. And then John adds, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What Mm. an ending, come, Lord Jesus. And that's the whole idea. They look forward to his first coming. After he'd come, he went back. They're looking forward to the second coming, and Revelation concludes that of the hope of the return of Christ. Now, Alex, Mm. we don't have a lot of time before we have our first break, so I'm going to ask this uh, question. I think we can answer it just in this short time frame. Jamie asked and said, I'm planning to start to read through the Bible with my wife and children, and I say, amen. And he asked, where do I start? I wrote two books down, and one is the Old Testament, one is the New. I would start in Genesis. I would. I, I think that is the yeah, beginning. sure. But then I would go to the New Testament and read the book of John. Both of those start about in the beginning. And I, I think that uh, any either even children would hear that connection uh, of the beginning, and you get the story of, of man, of creation, uh, and the fall, and the promise of redemption, and in the book of John, you get that redemption that Christ paid. You know, I think those are too good. Would you add to those?
1: Well, I, I just can't hardly improve on that. That's really good, because, you know, Genesis, Genesis is the book of beginnings, and we, we get so much the creation story, Adam and Eve, the human race. Uh, Abraham, the, the call of Abraham, the beginnings of the great salvation story Genesis and John maybe the Gospel of Mark uh, also interestingly the book of Colossians those are great starting points. Folks this is Exploring the Word, Bert and uh, Alex here answering questions and giving the answers from God's Word and we thank you for listening stay tuned, we're just getting started in this show we're back after this Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio.
0: in the word and today it is fire away friday and we enjoy fire away fridays and this is a pre-recorded version of the program uh, one of us is traveling or unable to be here or sometimes it's both of us but uh, we're beginning to travel a little bit, even in the midst of another outbreak of the virus. But So we pray for one another. We want you to pray for us. Alex and I are out there, and we know others are as well. And we have people that are hurting because the people in the hospital, even death. And so we're not mm. ignorant of that. And so we're praying for that, that God would, would intervene. And so... Uh, We just, we're going to do that Matter of fact, I'm going to lead us in prayer right now Alex, I love exploring the word Because sometimes that's what God just If God touches our heart to pray We stop and pray And I I think God wants us to Let me lead us in prayer And then we'll go to your second question, Alex Yes Father, I pray that you would just strengthen those who are listening today Give them wisdom, Father How to navigate in this world that we live in It's a difficult time, and it it shouldn't take us by surprise. Your word said in Timothy that uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, says in the last days you're going to have even more difficult times, and they've come this way. So, Father, give us wisdom in order to know what to do. And, uh, Father, I pray for your protection. I pray that you would supply our needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus and more than anything, more than our safety, and we do pray for that, more than our health, and we do pray for that, we pray that we'd be consistent in giving you glory and honor and power in our lives, that yes. you would be magnified and that we would be like Paul, whether by life or by death, that Christ would be glorified in our bodies. That's what he wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.20, and that is still our prayer, that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. What a beautiful prayer. And we certainly do thank everybody for listening. And um, I've got another question here. Um, Then this was emailed in from a listener. And, you know, uh, I want to say how much we appreciate all of our listeners. Even earlier today, Bert and I got to talk on the phone with David Chang, who is a listener out in California, Palmdale, California. And uh, we've had the privilege of helping David in his Christian growth a little bit. And uh, isn't that a privilege? And I know there are many, many Davids out there, and uh, women and men that listen. And the fact that you would uh, draw some of your... you know, truth about the Lord and walking with Christ, and you would you would glean from what we put on this show, that really does mean so much to us, doesn't
0: it, Bert? It really does, and it puts the responsibility on Alex and myself to be— uh, we want to be as biblical as we can. I, I talk about people being biased. I said, I, I honestly believe everybody has a bias, but I want to mm-hmm. be biblically biased. I want to view as much as I can possible— to view everything through the lens of Scripture. And, and in order to do that, you've got to read it, you have to meditate on it, memorize it. Meditate doesn't mean sit back and do nothing. The word that it's used in the Greek is struggle through that, that you look at it tough and even in hard times, that you look through the Word of God. And Alex and I, we haven't come to these answers just because of study. Uh, we've come to these answers because of the power of the Holy Spirit living a life. And observing others and experiencing a lot, and mm-hmm. so that's we put all of that into our answers as best we can, and we our ultimate goal is that Jesus be glorified. Alex, when He's glorified, I feel like I've done my job.
1: Well, Amen. And we do want to glorify God. And do you know um, some of the questions? And I've got one here that's that's pretty deep, and I'll just I'll just read it to you. But this was emailed in from a, a young man who's a college student. And he says, Alex, you say that God never had a beginning, but has just always existed. How can this be? Well, that's a that's a deep question. And before we really dive into it, I would say this, Burke. One of the things that I think is beautiful about Christianity, it is simple enough for a child to understand, you know, maybe... Like myself, you grew up and you saying Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's simple enough for a child to know that Jesus loves me, but it's profound enough that some of the most brilliant thinkers who ever walked the planet, from from Augustine to C.S. Lewis to Billy Graham, some of the most brilliant godly people ever, have pondered the Lord and bowed their heads and say, "Said Lord, I give you glory." I mean, so it's simple enough that Christ is accessible, profound enough that the honest seeker finds more and more truth and just humbles his heart in worship to an almighty God. Amen.
0: I I can't get this exactly right. You, You maybe can, but it's talking about the scriptures. It's shallow enough that a child can wade in and not drown but it's deep enough that it it challenges the person that wants to go to the very bottom and the depths. That's mm. the Word of God. It's a picture. Uh, God in the beginning. I tell you how I, I've been asked that, and I say, I don't know, but I trust the Word of God. God mm-hmm. in the beginning, God. In the beginning, the word was God. All, and that's when I answered the question about uh, how to start reading the Bible, Genesis, and the Book of John. The reason I gave was mainly because of those first verses in each one of those uh, books, Alex. In the beginning, and uh, I don't, I can't compl- I cannot comprehend it, but I know it. And uh, mm-hmm. listen, uh, I it's like the universe. Uh, is there an end to the universe? Well, if you start going, are you going to come to a wall and it says the end of the universe? No, because mm-hmm. you're going to know there's something on the other side of the wall. I I can't comprehend it, but I know that my God lives and he has and is eternal.
1: Yeah, I agree. And by the way, let, let me just say um, one of the things that is in the Bible that, I think is very compelling, and it's not in any other belief system. and I, And I know there are religions and there are concepts of, of you know, yin and yang and karma, but the biblical God really is a unique, uh, one of a kind person. And the Bible tells us a lot of things about God that I, the human mind simply could not have invented that God is a God of righteousness and holiness and justice and yes, law, but he's also a God of mercy and grace. And while we sin and we have disobeyed God and we are under judgment, but he makes a way of escape. And in Jesus, oh my goodness, the, the, the righteousness of God and the law of God was upheld and satisfied, and yet the grace and mercy of God was imminently manifested. But here's one thing that we learn about the eternality of God, that God—we uh, we don't really say God has or God will. We say God is. God is in the ever-present now. And this relates to Exodus 3.14 when God told Moses, I am that I am um, I've said it many times on the program, I'll say it again, that is a mind-boggling statement. Bert, I would submit that, um, you know, whenever I watch maybe my favorite movie of all time, The Ten Commandments, and Charlton Heston is there, and he asks what he should say when Pharaoh demands to know who sent him to free the Jewish slaves. And the voice of God comes from the burning bush and says that Moses is to inform the leader of Egypt, I am that I am I am has sent you. Well, I believe no human could have ever dreamed that up, because the I am statement is basically God saying it is my nature to exist. I am that I am, and nowhere I defy you anywhere. As much as I appreciate Aristotle and the Greek philosophers of old, and I've studied a lot of the world's religions, there is nothing anywhere except in the Bible that says the eternal God has always existed. In fact, it is His nature to exist. God could not not exist. So I'll say this. I don't understand it, but God has revealed that He is eternal, And he's not dependent on anything outside of himself. Uh, God is utterly, completely self-sufficient. Now, you and me, we're limited. We are contingent. We are dependent on a lot of things. Our parents, their parents, in fact, God himself. So I'll say this, Bert. We can't fully comprehend the being of God. But based on everything he has graciously shown us in creation, Scripture, through Jesus, we can be confident in this, that God lovingly desires not only that we know about him, but that we personally
0: know him. Amen, Alex. And I want to repeat this because of him being who he is. He gives us, and we say this quite often, he gives us in our following him – Call it Christianity or what you want. Origin, purpose, and destiny. There's Mm -hmm. no other world religion that offers that. There's no philosophy that offers that. There's no science. Uh, Everybody says, we want to follow the science. Uh, I'll follow God's science. Uh, If you follow Mm -hmm. God's science, you'll come to truth. Uh, And that's the whole idea. But he gives us origin because of him. Now, we know his purpose. That's the whole idea. His origin, his destiny. Uh, we know something of his destiny. I'm not sure we know the completeness of his destiny. We, uh, but he has given that to us, and we can trust him. So that's, thank you for that good question. I've got a good question that I want to ask, and it's from Michelle. And she says, what is the meaning of you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? That's from the 23rd Psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Alex, uh, that is a good question. Uh, Those of us that have studied Psalm 23, uh, we realize that, a shepherd's song. But uh, I, I think it has to do with supply and sufficiency for sure, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, And I'm glad we're getting
1: to talk about this a little bit. I want to unpack this. Um, Let me just say, uh, Psalm 23 talks about uh, the valley of the shadow of death and being in the presence of my enemies. Um, the, The pilgrim Christian on a journey is never completely out of trouble, are we? In this life, I mean, uh, we're, we're always in this fallen world, although we're on, on a journey to heaven, uh, we're
0: always in the presence of some kind of trouble. Alex, me? I'm interfering, and keep your thoughts. Jack Taylor, a great preacher, uh, he was preaching when I first surrendered, and it was about going deeper with God, about the Spirit-filled life, and he said mm-hmm. he had found out that the Christian is either getting into trouble, getting out of trouble, are in trouble, one or the other. Uh, mm-hmm. Trouble is just a part of our pilgrimage and difficulty. But so, yes, and I think 23rd Psalm, it moves, doesn't it? It's not stagnant. Have you noticed that? Yes, yes.
1: Um, it, it, that There's so much packed into Psalm 23. But l- let me just say this. Um, I've done a lot of work uh, coming along, uh, working on a farm. I did a, all kind of work uh, trying to get through seminary and graduate school. And, um, you know, for a while I worked on a tree crew, cutting trees. But the owner of the company, he's in heaven now, uh, passed away. But he always had us a real good lunch. And I can remember one time uh, up in Virginia, we were in rural, rural Virginia cutting trees, and I mean, we were sweating and exhausted. But at 12 noon, uh, we'd go back to the trucks because he had always, he would sometimes get fried chicken. Even in the presence of work that frankly was painful sometimes, we always had a table prepared for us uh, of a good lunch. And then after we ate, we'd go back to the job. Now, I'm not Maybe I'm not completely accurate on this, but when Psalm 23, 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. The table is not so much about the enemies, but I think it's about the table, the anointing, my overflowing cup. It's about God sustaining me, even in the throes of a, of a journey, a job, uh, persecution, whatever the trouble is. God, I, spe- I think it speaks to the sustaining power of God for his people.
0: I agree with you, and when you see that, you see that uh, it starts out, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then it develops that whole idea in the middle of difficulty – if David was writing this, think about it. And I, I think this is David's psalm. I mean, you know, being a shepherd, it's just perfect. But he knew what it was. He had faced a, a, a bear. He had faced a lion. He faced Goliath. He had faced uh, King Saul trying to kill him. He would fight uh, enemies that were trying to kill him. In the presence of those enemies that were looking over him, he made himself. God made it sufficient and he's given us everything in life that is sufficient for us for life and for godliness. Uh, We have that in us. Now, that doesn't mean it's without difficulty. It does not mean it's smooth sailing, but it does mean that his sufficiency, Paul says, my sufficiency is of the Lord. And so I, I do believe, Alex, that when you get right down to this, uh, God does it God is the one who does it and he prepares what we need <laughs> you know and, uh, and he gives true. us everything hey you're listening Amen. to Exploring the Word Alex and Bert here on Fireway Friday. We Friday this is a pre-recorded program but we're going to come back with some more of the questions you've asked us about right after this break to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio.
1: All oh, my hope is in Jesus Thank God that yesterday's gone You know, as we come back to this edition of the Word, where we're answering many questions, I, you know, I'm just thinking about how wonderful it is, one of God's greatest gifts to the human race is the Bible, Hebrews 4.4. It says, The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow. And the Word of God, Hebrews 4.4, 4, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of Welcome back to Exploring the Word, Bert and Alex here. We're answering some of the questions that we get. And by the way, you may send in a question, word, W-O-R-D, word at AFR.net, and your question might become the content for a future show, and we'd love to hear from you, and uh, we'll we'll do our best to get to it. But isn't that something, Bert, when Hebrews 4.4 says that the Word of God is living and powerful— and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sometimes reading the Bible, you are inspired to worship. Sometimes reading the Bible, you get under conviction, and the Spirit of the Lord might move you to pray and repent of sin. Um, The Bible is so unique in that we read the words, but the words work on us, don't they?
0: (laughs) They do. And I love to talk about this. The Word of God is the Word of God, whether anybody believes it or not. You do not have to believe the Word in order for it to become the Word of God to you. It is the Word of God. And you not only use it for yourself, you use it in your own life and and share it with others. And I just want to tell you, the Word of God will go forth and it will accomplish what God sends it forth to do. So when you're talking to someone and they don't believe the Bible, don't let that keep you from sharing the Word of God. You don't have to say, listen, you don't have to say, well, in John 3.16 it says, or in Hebrews 4.4 it says, all you have to do is share that. They might not even know you're quoting the Bible, but the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is able to go unto that soul and divide and cut asunder both soul and spirit. And that's the power of the Word of God, Alex. It listen, uh, the sword of the Spirit. We, when you have the armor, uh, that is part of the armor of the Christian. Amen. Did you, did you ever hear that quote?
1: Somebody once said, "The Bible is not man's word about God, but God's word about man." <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and uh, we, we read the Word of God, and we find the correct assessment of our state and our status fallen sinners but valuable to god he loves us and we can find the way to forgiveness and that's through jesus christ hallelujah and Amen. Um, Amen. L- l- let me let me give another question here um, somebody writes if god is love why is there a hell? and whenever i read a question like that you know my heart is moved because um oftentimes people get kind of interested or maybe even obsessed about hell, perhaps because somebody they care about, they're, they're afraid they didn't go to heaven. But honestly, now we'll unpack this a bit, the fact that there is a hell is part of the fact that God really is love because for, for a lot of reasons. But God... Offers heaven, but he doesn't force us. God gives us a choice. And hell, um, it really, by definition, if, if people don't want God in their life, and there are some people, very sadly, that very knowingly, they, um, they rationally choose to put God out of their life. If you don't want to be with the Lord and you don't want to go to heaven, he's not going to make you. But sadly, the state of those that reject God is the absence of God, which is hell. And so really, also the other thing I would say about this, Bert, is that for those that do want to be with Jesus, and those that do reciprocate and respond to the love of God, God's not going to let heaven ever get corrupted, and there will be a time when we are securely with the Savior that we responded to, and that's called heaven. So hell exists because we humans have a choice, and those that don't want salvation, they're not going to be forced to receive it. But those that did receive salvation, they are going to be secure in their position with the Lord eternally.
0: Amen. Alex, one of the word pictures and words that Jesus used for that place was Gehenna. It is a place of what? Waste. It was the waste dump, the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. And it was the place where that which could not be used there in the society was placed. There is a place of waste there's an old song, I heard it growing up, I don't hear it anymore, Wasted Years, Oh, How Foolish. Mm-hmm. And, and so I know some people, and I had a man, his, he's gone to be of the Lord, Jimmy Petrie was his name. Uh, he got saved, he was retired from the Navy, moved to here and uh, was a part of the church here uh, where I pastored for 28 years. And later on, he finally came to Christ and he was at everything. If it was for children, he was there. If it was for senior adults, he was there. When we had a Christmas program or a Fourth of July celebration where we would share the gospel, trying to get people to hear the gospel, he was there. And he and one time he was having heart attack or heart problems, and he was taking his medicine. And Nathan, my son, was there, and he said, "Mr. Jimmy, you might should have stayed home tonight." And he said, "Oh, I can't. I wasted too many years, and I'm trying to to make up for it. And and don't waste your years, and especially don't mm. waste your life. That's what Gehenna was—a place. And like you said, Alex, heaven is a." prepared place for prepared people. If you're not prepared, you wouldn't be at home there, you know, and your Mm -hmm. soul must go somewhere. There's no such thing as non-existence. After you have become a living soul, there is existence for the rest of eternity. The whole idea is where will you spend it? Will you be in a place of peace and rest, heaven, or will you be in a place of waste and torment, hell? Uh, Mm. that God so loved the world that he gave his son, God loves you today. And if you don't know that and you need someone to talk to other than just hearing Alex and myself talk on the radio again, there's a number you can call, 888-NEED-HIM, 888-NEED-HIM, they will help you because you don't want to waste any more of your life. You want to come to Christ and do it now. Exactly. Well said, Brother Burt. Well said. Well, let me, is y'all right for a sec, Uh, a third question from me? And and I've got several here, but I'm going to go ahead with this one. This person wrote in and they were talking about how their church shut down during the, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, and they did stay home, and they listened on live stream. They read the Scripture, but they said, you know, without being that iron sharpening iron, they felt like they went into what they call lukewarmness. And so mm. they wrote in Revelation three fifteen and 16, it's talking about a church being lukewarm. What about a Christian? Can a Christian become lukewarm, and what does it mean, Alex?
1: Wow, that, that's a great question. Uh, you know, whenever I read about something like this, I think about in the book of Revelation, the, the Laodicean church, you know, that uh, became lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. And God said, you know, because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. And so a Christian can lose his, his fire for the Lord. And Bert, I think it starts with uh, forgetting to be grateful. I honestly believe one of the greatest motivators to stay on point for Christ is gratitude. Amen. Oh, my goodness. We have so much for which to be grateful. But um, don't you think that uh, any, any Christian can become lukewarm, and it really starts with our,
0: our lack of gratitude? I could not agree more, brother, because it talks about it in the book of Romans about this, you know, downward spiral. Uh, They became unthankful. And, and, you know, uh, even as a human being, uh, you ought to be thankful. Now, they write shows now about thanksgiving, and they'll, they'll say we want to give thanks, but they don't say we give thanks to God. They just want to be thankful. There is something about thankfulness that is uh, great in our lives. But when we learn to be thankful to the God who has made us, and then after we've been saved, the God who has redeemed us, I want to tell you, I think it puts you on ground whereby to grow. Alex, I think you're exactly right. I I honestly know in my life, and I've been around a while now, pastoring, dealing with people, I've never met the person who was growing in the Lord, uh, you know, and them not being thankful. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. the they growth in the Lord and being unthankful, I, I don't think that's possible. I think it begins with that thankful Amen, heart. Brother.
1: And, and also, let me just say your involvement in your local church. Um, and, and I encourage everybody, if you're a born-again believer, you need to be in a good church. And uh, you need to approach the local church with a, the heart of a servant. And it, it's really gratitude, honestly. The the people, um, the building, the opportunities to serve, it, it's not drudgery. and you know, and I can honestly say in church life, I've done about everything there is to do from emptying the waste baskets to uh, you know, helping nail shingles on a roof. I really have. and it's it's an honor to help invest in in God's local church. And I think one of the great motivators to be uh, a healthy thriving church member is again, gratitude. Hey, you know, it's it's a blessing to go to a church, but it's a blessing that we, by the blood of Jesus, are part of the church.
0: You know what I mean? Amen. Let me add one more thing, serve. Uh, and, and the writer of this question was talking about how, you know, things shut down there for months at some places, and it was difficult. Find a way of service. And, and I've used this before, a man that really touched my life, uh, his name was Galen Galen Goolsby. He touched my life. He came to the church where I was pastoring after he had retired, and he said, uh, "Brother Bird, I can't do what I used to. I used to serve." He was a a fire captain, and uh, you know he had retired, and but his health had come. But he said, "I'm not sitting around and doing nothing." And he became in our Sunday school class that I led, as well as pastoring. He became our. He was a prayer char he was in charge mm. of prayers every prayer uh, pers- every person that requested prayer he would get their name he'd do his best to get their address and send them a prayer card saying we prayed for you and i he just wasn't going to sit around and do nothing he couldn't teach anymore his mind he said it it wanders even when I write it down I can't find it but he did not stop serving I, Lord, I want to be that way, Alex. Uh, and mm. if you want to be, get off of lukewarmness, uh, be thankful, be active in that church, and serve the Lord. I, I think he'll warm your heart when you do that. Amen. That, that's
1: right. And, and we don't want our heart to grow cold. We want our heart to stay fervently on fire for Jesus Christ. Um, I've got a question here. Did you have another one, Bert?
0: Well, I think we can answer this one real quickly. Is that all right?
1: Okay. Yeah, sure, sure.
0: What does it mean that God will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west and remember it no more? And the whole idea was God would every once in a while bring up to the children of Israel their mistakes they had made in the past. Was God remembering it? And, and I, I just want to say real quick, and I'll turn it over to you to finish up. East from the west, I'm glad he didn't say from the north to the south. You know, uh, from the north to the south is measurable. You know, from the North Pole to South Pole. But if you start east and go west uh, around the equator, you'll always be and go. You'll always be going east. You'll always if you go hmm. west, you'll always be going west. And the whole idea of that, remember it no more. The real meaning is he will not remember it against you. Uh, when he calls it to our memory, it is for our benefit. When it's to do damage, it's not God. It is Satan. You know? Yeah, that's true. And, and you know what? I've always loved Colossians
1: 2.14. And th- this is part of our status as saved people because we believe. It says that he has blotted out the handwriting that was against us, contrary to us, taken it out of the way, having nailed it to his cross. Okay, here's the thing. God knows everything. He's omniscient. And when he says, "Their sins I will remember no more, I mean, by definition, God knows everything. But I think what it means is the, the penalty of sin and the status of our guilt before God has been removed. Uh, see, uh, Colossians 2.14, there was some handwriting against us. We were sons of Adam we had the guilt of Adam, we were part of the fall. Then we did sinful deeds. I mean, we individually have things that we did wrong. We are sinners. And the the nature and the holiness and the law of God indicted us because we knew the right, but we did the wrong. But when you become a Christian, you say, Lord, I'm trusting in Jesus. Our, Our guilt is washed away. And the righteousness of Christ is attributed to us. Our our guilt is removed as far as from east is to west. In other words, you are changed and your status before God is now redeemed.
0: Hallelujah. If you do not know Jesus Christ, your savior, you're missing out on the greatest journey you could ever take. We're praying here on Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex are saying, Lord, save that person that is seeking you. Come into their heart. Father, I pray mm-hmm. that you'd take your word and you would send it forth to accomplish what you sent it forth to do. Thank you, Alex. For This is a great program for Fire Away Friday. Look forward to Monday, and we'll be studying yes. God's word.
1: Thanks for listening, folks. Keep your radio tuned to American Family Radio, AFR, and pray for America.